through the mic. Christ is mine forevermore. What a blessing that is. What great joy that brings to our hearts. Children, uh, you may be dismissed for Children's Church at this time. Uh, so go ahead and make your way through the back doors. Mr. Ramavu is waiting for you. All right. Um, you may notice the title of the sermon today. It is called Passionate Preaching. Um, somebody came up to me before the service and said, look, you're preaching about yourself. Um, well, I do tend to get a little passionate about God's word, and that is always a good thing and never a bad thing. Um, I was reading through some of my Facebook posts uh, trying to catch up with all the things that are going on. Um, and in the, one of the pastor's forums that I am involved with, um, somebody made a post and said that um, his wife told him that he always looks very somber when he preaches. Should he be up there smiling and, um, and not looking so somber was his question. I mean... We've got the greatest news to talk about. It should put a smile on our face, right? It should be something that we get excited about, something that we are indeed passionate about. Um, we sang the last song. We talked about rejoicing. Um, how can we sing a song about rejoicing with a non-happy-looking face? I mean, um, Mark Lowry made the I think it was Mark Lowry. Um, he said, uh, you know, I go to churches, and I'm in a lot of different churches, and they sing about there is joy in serving Jesus. And he made the comment, he says, maybe you should tell your face. <laughs> yeah, there's joy in serving Jesus. Some of the songs, I hope all of the songs that we sing are so packed full of truth that it brings hope and joy and enthusiasm to your heart. Um, so what a, what a privilege it is this morning to open our, our copies of the scripture together to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, where we're going to see a man who is passionate about preaching because he's talking about the truth. We are going back to our series, we've been away from it for a couple of weeks, um, but we're going back to our series on great sermons from the book of Acts. So um, you, might be say that, you might say that I'm plagiarizing these sermons because they're not mine. They didn't originate with me, but they are part of the Holy Scripture. So as, as is the truth with all of our messages, they come from the Word of God. And so it is God's Word that we're looking at together this morning. Uh, and as we journey through the book of Acts, we find the next in the line of great sermons comes from a man by the name of Stephen. Okay, we're going to give you some background on Stephen, but let me remind you a little bit about where we've been so far in the book of Acts, what our sermon series has covered so far. We've looked exclusively at messages preached by the Apostle Peter, and Peter was the guy who um, God chose to use to initiate the church of Jesus Christ, the New Testament church, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He chose Peter to be the first preacher, the first spokesperson for the church. And so Peter has been preaching so far in the book of Acts. And some of the things that he has uh, taught us is that it doesn't matter who you're preaching to, preach the truth. It doesn't matter where you are, preach the truth. 
It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we want to be the center and the heart of what we do because it's the gospel that not only saves us, but it is also the gospel that empowers us to continue moving forward for the glory of our great God and for our Savior Jesus Christ. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He preached his heart out, and he had to explain some things that were funny and strange and people didn't understand, but he gave them the truth. He gave them God's perspective, and that's what we are called to do. We don't give our own thoughts when we preach. We give what God has given to us to preach from the pages of his word. He preached to parishioners in the temple. That was where, you know, the the temple was a place that people went to worship. That's all they knew at the time. So they gathered together in the temple and Peter preached to them in the temple. He wasn't welcome in the temple to preach, but he preached there anyway. I remember one time I was asked to do a funeral. Uh, Actually, I've done three funerals in Catholic churches. Okay? Um, And the last funeral I did in a Catholic church, um, it was the funeral of a, a guy who was Irish, okay, and he somehow had some, some strings in the Catholic church. Now, he was genuinely, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord before he passed away, um, but when he, when we had his funeral, there was the regular priest that was there, and then whoever the next guy up is on the, on the rank of priests in the Catholic church, he was there too, and he kind of did most of the service until it got to me, and um, his, his daughter, Jen, asked me to make sure that the people got the truth. And so I, I told about how I led Patty to Christ. And I used Patty, the name that we, everybody called him, Patty. And the other guy used some other name that nobody, who's this guy talking about? We're talking about Patty. Well, who's this guy he's talking? So he had a different name for Patty. But anyway, I start and I, and I say, hey, Patty, uh, recently, like within the last six months, asked the Lord Jesus to be his savior. And I went through and I shared what I shared with those people what I shared with Patty on that day. And as I'm giving the gospel out, this guy behind me is dropping books on the floor and he's stomping his feet. And one of the deacons of our church was sitting right in the front row and he came up to me afterwards and he put his hand, he put his arm around me. He said, Pastor, I thought I was gonna have to come up there and save you because that guy was really mad at what you were saying. So as they were walking out with the casket. Jen had to go do something, and she was walking back in, and the priest was walking out, and he said to Jen, he says, you didn't tell me he was going to talk about that stuff in my church. And Jen looked at him and said, well, it's a good thing he did, because you didn't. <laughs> Woo! Now, can I tell you something? Jen encountered some persecution for that. She is one of the premier ballet teachers in, in South Africa, Okay. She had a contract with several Catholic schools, and when, after that funeral, she lost that contract. They said, we don't want you teaching in our schools anymore. So they, they dumped her, but it was because she took a, a stand for the cause of Christ. Wow, and, and it's something to be passionate about. We need to be passionate about the truth of God's word. Peter was passionate. As he talked to these individuals, it didn't matter where they were from, who they were. He even preached to the priests in the Sanhedrin. 
They didn't like it either. They, in fact, they arrested him for it. But you know what? It didn't stop him. He continued to preach the truth. What did Peter's message, all of them so far, what did they contain? They contained the truth. He consistently preached first that Jesus is God's son and the Messiah. That was not a popular message in those days. The Jewish people, remember, they hanged Jesus on a cross. Because that was the message that Jesus had. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. They didn't like it. Peter also preached that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for their sins and our sins. He reminded his listeners that this was actually prophesied by the prophets of old. You can go back to the Old Testament and and read from the book of Isaiah especially about the suffering servant who was the Messiah. He also preached that God raised his son from the dead. And shortly thereafter, Jesus ascended back into heaven to be at his father's right side. Peter preached that. They didn't like that. He preached that to receive forgiveness of sins, one must, are you ready for this? One must repent. You can't just think you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person or because you've always done this or you've always done that. The only way to get to heaven is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, repenting of your sins and trusting in that work. We also see that Peter's message included the fact that a lifestyle of obedience is the result of such repentance and that it should characterize every person who claims to be a follower of Christ. Every person who names the name of Jesus Christ should want to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. You should be committed to doing what God asks you to do. And where do you find what God asks you to do? Right here in the pages of Scripture. This is where we find what God wants us to do. Peter's been telling and preaching about that up until chapter 7. And now we're going to be introduced to a new preacher. Do you like new preachers? It's good to hear different people preach because it gives us different perspectives from God's word. We got to make sure that everybody we listen to, though, is preaching the truth of God's word. They're not using some other source manual. If I ever stand up here in this church behind this pulpit and start to preach from a different book, please throw me out. That's your job, that's your responsibility as followers of Christ. If somebody preaches a different gospel, you want nothing to do with them. However, churches around the country and around the world have compromised over the years. Their leadership has led them down a wrong path, a path of compromise. And the people have just said, oh, it's not that bad. We can just put up with it. No, we can't. Eternity hangs in the balance for people who come to church and listen to somebody speak and preach. We must preach the truth. There can never be compromise. This is not a place for politics to come from the pulpit. It's not a place for personal opinion to come from the pulpit as the way to live your life. Yes, you get my opinions from time to time. And my opinion should always be, just like yours, should always be based on the convictions you find in the Word of God. This is not a place for somebody to present a personal agenda. 
That's not what it's about. It's about proclaiming the truth of the word of God. This morning we're going to hear from a different person who proclaims the truth. It's not going to be a message from the Apostle Peter. In fact, it doesn't even come from one of the apostles. It comes from a man who is first mentioned here in the book of Acts among the people who were chosen to be a deacon. And we find out that this man wasn't, was full of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it, that's often the case. And I'm not putting any pressure on our deacons, but you know what? Deacons often find themselves in a place where they have to stand and speak and preach the truth of the Word of God. And I believe our deacons could do that. And, so, and well, I mean, Ben does it often. If I'm sick or not here, he's the first, first go-to guy. And praise the Lord that he can handle God's word. But I'm confident that any of our deacons can stand up and teach and preach God's word. You know why? Because they all have the Holy Spirit. Just like everyone else in this room who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. You all have the Holy Spirit. And yes, we can talk about the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church. There's nothing wrong with that. He is the third member of the triune Godhead. And we should be very thankful that the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. And we should strive to be like the man Stephen that we're going to learn from today to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. Not, that, and that means if we let the Holy Spirit control our lives, we have to yield ourselves to that. We have to say, okay, it's not me, it's not about me, it's about Jesus, it's about God, it's about the Holy Spirit and me following his leadership in my life. And not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of our lives. This message that Stephen is going to preach is going to be... um, uh, a message preached by a servant of God, one who willingly let God use him however he wanted to be used, however God wanted to use him. And, and you know what? This message that we're going to look at this morning is the only message that Stephen ever preached. He got one shot, and you know what? He did a bang-up job. He did an amazing job. He preached his heart out. And at the end of, this, end of the account, we're going to see what happened because he preached his heart out. This preacher was, uh, his name means one who is crowned. Stephen was crowned with what? What was he crowned with? He was crowned with grace and honor and glory, but he all directed it all to his great God. Didn't take any of it for himself. Stephen, the man of God that we want to look at this morning, who preached a message that is well needed in our world today. Be a person who is passionate about our great God. In verse 8, we read these words about Stephen. And Stephen was full of faith and power. He did great wonders and signs among the people. This young man was destined for great things. Okay, We would say that he was a rising star in the early church. The Nelson Study Bible makes this comment about Stephen. It says, He had the gifts, the boldness, and the brilliance to be a powerful witness, yet even his witness would be rejected by the religious leaders. Hearts were opened only by hearts are opened only by God, not by our gifts, our boldness, or our brilliance. It's important for us to note and to remind ourselves of that very truth. 
the fact that Scripture says Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And my comment on that is he wasn't full of himself. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. That's a good point for preachers to take note of. As a preacher, whether it's me or somebody else who's been asked to stand up and stand behind this pulpit, here's something that you need to remember. Always demonstrate a humble spirit that shows one's life is subject to and dependent on the Holy Spirit rather than on a haughty spirit that shows one's confidence is in themselves and strives to bring glory to themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I try to be careful um, when you come through the line and say, Pastor, that was a good sermon. It wasn't a good sermon because I put it together. It was a good sermon because it came from the Word of God. And I remember having conversations in Bible college, sitting on those ugly flowered couches in the dorm at Baptist Bible College, and saying, hey, that was a great chapel message, or, eh, that wasn't so great of a chapel. I have to confess to you one time that I, I, I went to pick up a chapel speaker, and and by the time we got back, and we had to go all the way to New Jersey to pick him up, Newark Airport, okay? So it was a couple hours drive, and by the time we got back to campus, I'm like, I'm not going to chapel to listen to this guy. I'm just not. So I used my chapel cuts for three days so I didn't have to go listen to that guy. But there were so many, and, and it, that was wrong on my part. I, I judged him based on the things he said in our conversation on the way back from the airport um, and things he said about other other person that was with me. Um, and, and, and so I just, I just made a judgment. I'm not going. I'm not going. But you know what? We had so many times our conversations about chapel ended with, it doesn't matter who's standing up there behind the pulpit, as long as they speak from God's word, there's something we can learn from it. Yeah, they might not be the most energetic preacher, but if you're using this as your source material, I'll tell you this, you can never go wrong. If this is your material, if you start here and you finish here, you will never, ever go wrong as long as you rightly divide the word of truth. And that's the responsibility of every preacher. And that's what Stephen does here. Stephen is about to deliver a passionate message that would be remembered down through the ages by followers of Christ, not just from Stephen's time, but even today as we read it, we are challenged with the message that he preached. In fact, this message from Stephen was going to cause him to be the first martyr of Christendom the first martyr of the church. In order to get the background of the message, we have to read from Acts chapter 6. So would you stand with me together? And, and Chloe was very observant. She was preparing for the slideshow this morning, and she came up to me and she said, Pastor, your, title, your sermon note page says Acts chapter 7, but your slides say Acts chapter 6. Is that correct? I said, it is, and thank you for noticing that. We have to start to get some background on, on this man named Stephen, and we find all that we need in Acts chapter Chapter 6, read it together with me if you will. Acts 6, 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. 
They, then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came upon him and they seized him and they brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. This is the background for Stephen. You may be seated. Stephen is a man who is passionate about the truth of God's word. Before we move on, let's ask God to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you again for your word. And we thank you again for the examples of holy people who you have used down through the ages to build your church. Jesus said in the book of Matthew that he was going to build his church and he, and he was going to build it upon the rock and that rock was none other than himself. And so Father, as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, Acts chapter 7, we are going to see Stephen's defense of the truth. We are going to see Stephen was a man who loved you and, and wanted to honor you with the things he said. And so as we look at his message this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would use it to challenge us and to even change us in our thoughts about who you are and how you have called us to live for you and to serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we have here in Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's address, his defense, if you will. Um, it's a historical account of the nation of Israel. If we were to outline Stephen's message, it would have two main points. The two main points, we're going to look at them this morning. A description of the nation of Israel and a denunciation of the nation of Israel. As Stephen preaches, he points out the faithfulness of some of those in Israel's history, which would encourage those who decided to be followers of the one true God. Those who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah. The opening part of Stephen's message, uh, starting with verse 2, going down to around verse 50, we are going to see that Stephen talks about holy people who were dedicated to serving God. They weren't perfect people, but they were individuals who decided and determined that they would follow God and they would obediently do what they find in the pages of Scripture. Now for them, that was only the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures as we have described them in the past. They were actually in the process of writing for our benefit the New Testament or the Christian scriptures. But in his defense, he gives a description of the nation of Israel. He starts out with their history, how it all began. How did the nation of Israel get its start? It hasn't always been around. You know, sometimes, you know, we live in a country, we're very proud of our country, and we're very um, set on the heritage of our country, and we're thankful for where God has placed us, and we forget that countries and nations have beginnings. As far as America, we are a very young nation, a couple hundred years old. There are nations in our world that are far older than America. And Israel, at the time of Stephen's address, is not a very old nation. 
It's a nation that God called out of Ur the Chaldees under the name of a guy, Abraham. Before Abram, actually Abram, before Abram, there was no Israel. There was no nation known as the nation Israel. There were no Jewish people. The history of Israel begins with a guy by the name of Abraham. And we see that in verse 2. And we're not going to read all of Stephen's message because it's longer than mine. Okay, Um, If you were to copy and paste chapter 7 and put it into the word and say, you know, get the word count, it will be longer than the word count of my sermons. Now, I don't... I think that I write down everything I'm going to say in the sermon, but I don't read my sermons. So even though my sermons might only have, I don't know, a thousand words, you get a lot more than that. You get your money's worth, sorry, when you come on Sunday mornings, all right? At least we fill up the time, okay? But Stephen is here, and he's talking about the history, how it all began. In verse 2, we read this, and he, Stephen, said, brethren and fathers, listen, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he dwelt in Haran and from there when his fathers were dead, he moved them into his land in which you now dwell." Who started it all? Well, God started it all with this guy named Abram or Abraham. And we see throughout our study of the book of Genesis. And by the way, if you're not in the habit of attending on Sunday nights, you're missing out. Because Ben is leading us through the history of the nation of Israel, the history of the Jewish people. And we are learning a lot on Sunday nights. In fact, I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling you about Mo, about Abraham because Ben's already been doing that on Sunday nights. In fact, what he's reminded us over and over and over again is that Abraham, although he was not a perfect man, he was an obedient man. He strove to be obedient to the things of God. His obedience was evident when God said, "Get up and leave." Ur the Chaldees, what did Abraham do? What did Abram do, we should say? He got up and left. He didn't say, yeah, but God, don't you know that all my family lives here? Don't you know that all that I have, all that I own is here in Ur the Chaldees? Don't you know that I'm very comfortable here? No, he didn't say any of that. He just got up and left. God said, get up and go. He didn't even know where he was going. Now, none of us set off on a journey not knowing where we're going, okay? My wife is an excellent navigator, okay? Before we had these things that you push a button and a map comes up on your phone, before we had that, you had these other little things that were garments. And and what's the other one that they had? Garmin? Tom-toms, okay? Um, And... And she really didn't like when, we first, when the garments first came out and I told her I was going to buy one. She's like, why? Don't I do a good enough job? That wasn't it at all. But I said, you're not with me all the time. Can I tell you how many times I've gotten lost? No, I can't because it's been a lot of times I've gotten lost. Because I don't, I, I mean, I can look at a map and say I want to go from here to there, but I don't necessarily know how to plot out the course. And plus, I'm driving, so I don't have time to look down at the map, talk about distracted driving, okay? Maps were far more distracting than, than the map on your cell phone is, because at least they talk to you, 
when you had to pick up the, fo- the map and you're kind of like, oh, 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 I get back on the road. I always had my wife sitting next to me. We, we've traveled to hundreds, literally hundreds of different churches. And some of them are out in the boonies. And without my wife helping me get there, we would have never got to the church, a lot of the churches. That, I mean, when I served on the NLT, I had to go to meet in different churches um, to hear them present why they want to become part of the, Empire, the Northeast Fellowship. I got lost going to some of those churches. Why? Because my wife wasn't with me. And the Garmin lost, the phone lost its signal like, uh-oh, now what do I do? Well, if you had a map, you might be able to find out where you're supposed to go. But I didn't have a map. In fact, it's hard to find a map these days. But anyway, we have this fact that Abraham was called to go to a place he didn't know where he was going. Just get up and go. And when you get there, God said, I'll let you know that you're in the right spot. You talk about faith. He didn't know where he was going. But he knew the God who was directing him. And that's important for us to understand. He got up, he went. We say that Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man of faith. Faith is seen in the fact that he continued to believe God and to live in accordance with God's instructions. You know the definition. We use it all the time. Abraham fits that definition to a T. He didn't know where he was going. God said, get up and go. So he said, okay, I'll get up and go. And as he was going, God directed him, and he changed his life every step of the way to do what God wanted him to do. He lived according to the revelation God gave to him. And then in verse 8 it says, And he, that's God, gave him, Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. History shows us that he was always obedient in the instructions given. When he didn't have instructions and he made decisions on his own, he often got in trouble. Case in point. Hey, Sarah, you're such a beautiful woman. Would you just tell them that you're my sister? He did that a couple of times, right? And Sarah, instead of saying, but honey, you know that's not the right way to go. She said, of course, I'll do exactly what you ask me to do. And when they did their own thing, so often like us, when we do our own thing, what happens? We get in trouble. We find ourselves, oh, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm doing what I want to do. So what do we do? We repent and we get back doing what God wants us to do. And we live in faith and we honor God with the things that he tells us to do in his word. God gave him a covenant of circumcision. It shows, now listen, Abraham was no spring chicken when he was told to get circumcised. I don't remember that in my life, and I'm thankful that I don't. But Abraham went through a great deal of pain to be obedient to God when God said, go and get circumcised. Why circumcised? Well, because circumcision was a mark of the covenant between God and his chosen nation. No other nation in the world had heard of, had known about circumcision until God introduced it to Abraham and said, this is a sign of the covenant between you and me. You do this and I'll do this and we'll have this covenant together. The history of the nation of Israel is it's all about God bringing them into existence, God leading them, God being faithful, God directing them, God making them the nation they were. All about God. 
as we move through, Peter, through Stephen's message, we see that he doesn't just talk about history. He talks about hope for the nation. How, where's the hope? Well, the hope is in the fact that God keeps it all together. God preserves the nation of Israel. Can you imagine what would have happened when um, the king took Sarah into his harem? Because Abraham said, she's my sister. Okay, she's his sister, so I can take her to be my wife, to be a part of my harem. And what happens if then Sarah is now just one of the concubines and has to live there in the king's court? What does that do to the nation of Israel? Doesn't happen. Because God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your wife is Sarah. And we already know that God expects there to be sanctity in marriage. And the marriage is a lifelong commitment. If Sarah is no longer in the picture and she's left Abraham and she's part of the, I think his name was Elimelech, uh, part of that harem, then that's the whole nation of Israel gone. You see, Abraham got himself into trouble when he stepped outside of God's will. When we don't do what God tells us to do in the pages of Scripture, we find ourselves struggling. Hope keeps the nation moving forward. Hope keeps God at the focal point of Abraham's life. You and I know that the promises of God to those who follow him bring great hope to us as we follow him. If we choose not to follow him, we don't have hope. Because where does life end for those who choose not to follow God? Separated from him for all of eternity in a place called hell. Where's the hope in that? There is none. We follow the promises of God and those promises give us great hope. And that hope is what kept Israel together, kept Israel moving forward. You know, you look through the book of Judges and you read that book and you see that when Israel, and and it's so clear in that book, they did what was right in their own eyes. They did what they wanted to do. They didn't do what God wanted them to do. They did what they wanted to do. And when they did what they wanted to do, They got far away from God. They worshipped idols. God sent them into captivity. Either he kicked them out of the land or he brought oppressors in and they judged them and they occupied the land. The land was not in their control. And then what did they do? There's a cycle. 13 times, what did they do? They realized that they were not following God. They cried out to God. Why could they do that? Because they had hope that God would hear them. And every time they repented and cried out to God, God did hear them, and God sent a deliverer to them. And God brought them back to the right path for a period of time, and then they did what was right in their own eyes, and the whole cycle goes over and over, repeats itself again. There was hope in obeying God and following his promises. That hope is what helped Israel keep it together, even when there seemed to be nothing but despair all around them. Can I tell you this? If you're not walking where the Lord wants you to be and you don't have hope, it's not because God's changed his position. It's because you're not where you need to be. And your hope is not where, it's not in God. It's like, man, if I have, can I just have a better job? Or if I could just have a better house or a newer car? I mean, after all, I'm repairing this thing every other week. Our hope then becomes not in God, but in things and possessions. And they're never going to give us fulfillment for a long period of time. 
The hope that we have is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So as as Stephen is rehearsing or remembering the hope of the nation of Israel, he talks about some different things. He talks about Israel's lineage. Okay, And again, it wasn't very old of a country, but he starts out by listing the descendants of Abraham. He talks about Isaac and Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. And as I said, Ben has been leading us through a study on the nation of Israel on Sunday evenings. It's been a rich time of learning and, and seeing God's working and blessing in Abraham's life. We have seen that God was incredibly active in the life of his friend, God's friend Abraham. He was very active in his life. And as we continue to work our way through the study, we're going to see God's faithful activity in the life of Isaac and Jacob in the building of his chosen nation from Abraham's offspring. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And even at the age of 90, he had no children to, to, to have that nation build through. And then when he had turned almost 100 years old, God gave him his son Isaac, the son of promise. And then he asked him to sacrifice him on, the, on, a, on, a, on an altar. What did Abraham do? Again, God said, go take your son Isaac and get to the place I will show you. No map, no, pre, no, no, no saying, here's, take this left, take this right. Go to a place I will show you. And when you get there, offer him as a sacrifice on the altar. God wasn't asking for a living sacrifice. He was asking for a dead sacrifice. Abraham gets that command, that commission, and what do we read in the next verse? Abraham got up early in the morning and he saddled his donkeys and he went with Isaac and he took him to do what? To sacrifice him. God gave him a command, he obeyed. You see the pattern over and over again. And Isaac was not a young man when this happened. He wasn't some like six or seven or even a teenager. He was probably more like 30, 35 years old when they went up to Moriah to sacrifice him on that altar. And you know how old Abraham was? About 125. 125, 35, who do you think's got the better ability to get away or to do what they want to do? Abraham's probably like, and Isaac is a strapping young man. If Isaac hadn't learned obedience from his father, he would have pushed his father aside and gone away. You're not going to put me on it. I mean, remember the conversation? Dad, we have fire and we have the knife, but where's the sacrifice? My son, God will provide a ram, a lamb. My, God, my son, God will provide. He, he knew that either he was going to sacrifice Isaac and God was going to raise him from the dead or God was going to give him more revelation along the way. That's what he knew. That's how he lived. That's how he acted. Abraham set the example of obedience. His children, to some degree, followed that. And when they, again, did their own things, they were out of step. They were out of touch with God until they confessed and got right with God and God brought them back into the right spot. So this lineage provided hope because they saw over and over and over again people who were willing to be obedient to the things of Christ And then he specifically begins to talk about a guy by the name of Joseph. He talks about this life of Joseph. Okay, Now Joseph is one of these guys that as we read through the scriptures, we don't find that Joseph did anything wrong in scripture. I'm not saying he was perfect. We just see that God chose not to point out the shortcomings, the sins in his life. 
Now, some would say, well, maybe he should have kept his mouth shut. Maybe he shouldn't have talked about all the dreams that he had. And maybe he shouldn't have. But anyway, God used this man, Joseph, in an amazing way. His brothers got jealous of Joseph. Stephen tells us his brothers became jealous of him, and they sold him into Egypt as a slave. There were many ups and downs in Joseph's life. I mean, can you imagine being sold by your brothers as a slave? Wow. I mean, my brothers and I, we had some fights along the way, but I, they never tried to sell me as a slave. Maybe they wanted to, I don't know. Um, but it never happened. Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. If Joseph's hope and dreams were in his family, he was in trouble. Because they didn't really love him. And then he gets bought by Potiphar, second in command in the, in the land of Egypt. And he begins to make his way up in Potiphar's household. In fact, Potiphar gave him charge of everything in his household. And Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and said, mm, he's a young man, he's a, he's a pretty handsome guy, I like him. And you know how the story unfolds. And Joseph wanted to honor God. He made that choice. And so he fled from Potiphar's wife's presence rather than sin with her. He ran away. And when Potiphar came home, his wife lied to him about Joseph. And ends up Joseph being thrown in prison. From the high to the low. He honors God with his life in prison. And while he's honoring God, God is elevating him in the eyes of the jailer. And God uses him in that jail to bring hope to people, at least the one guy in the jail and the other guy not so much. Um, but you know how that story goes. And, and Joseph says to the one guy who was freed and brought back to his position in the king's court, he says, remember me. That's all I ask. Remember me when you go out of prison and, 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 and speak well of me. He didn't remember. He forgot all about him. Until one day the king has a dream. And, the, and when a king has a dream, everybody knows about it. Nobody could interpret the dream, and the guy says, hey, you know what, when I was in prison, because I, you know, God forgive me, O king, when I, when, I, when I made you unhappy and you threw me in prison, um, there was a guy there. We, had, we each had a dream, and, and he said that I would be restored, and the baker would be put to death, and it came to pass just like he said it would happen. His name was Joseph. Maybe he can help. So Pharaoh called for Joseph, and guess what? God gave him wisdom and, and, and interpreted the dreams that would save the nation of Israel. And I mean the nation of Egypt. And as a result, um, the, the king, king, Pharaoh, promotes Joseph to number two in the land. Nobody higher than him but Pharaoh. And Joseph enacted the plan that God gave him and saved the land of Egypt and reunited him with his family. But the highs and lows of Joseph's life. But Joseph always kept his hope in the one true God, because he knew God was faithful. He never gave up hope. He always hoped in what God would do. We see that God was with him. God rescued him from his afflictions. God granted him favor and wisdom. God made him the governor of all of Egypt. And then famine came over the land, and Pharaoh said, you're, you're in charge. Don't come see me. Go see Joseph. You need food? Go talk to Joseph. He's the guy. He's in charge. But famine just didn't hit Egypt. It hit the whole, hit the whole world, the known world at the time. And Jacob and his, his sons got hungry. 
So what do they need to do? They need to go to Egypt because there was food in Egypt. There wasn't food anywhere else. Jacob sent his sons, the fathers of Israel, if you will, to buy food so that the family, so that the nation of Israel could survive. There's that hope they have in God. Jacob sent them back a second time to get grain again, and this time Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Joseph invited the whole family to come to Egypt, to live there, to be saved from the famine. And God brought them into Egypt, and God grew them as a nation in the land of Egypt, so that when they came out, they were more than a million strong. God is in control. God gave them hope the whole time. And then we read in scriptures, until there was a time, and Stephen brings this up, until there was a time who ruled, a king who ruled over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And then what happened? They were placed into slavery. They were placed into bondage. And Pharaoh didn't want to let his children go, the children of Israel. They want to let them go. And then what does God do? When the children of Israel cry out to God, God, will you smile upon us? Will you have favor upon us? We were introduced by Stephen to this guy named Moses. We see the legacy of Moses. He was lovely in the sight of God, it says Moses was. He was nurtured by his mother for three months and then raised by Pharaoh's daughter and educated in the best schools of all of Egypt. Why would he need that? God knew he would need that when he was going to call him to lead his people. That put him in good stead. It entered his mind, entered Moses' mind to go visit his brethren. Who's that? Well, that's the Israelites. Why did it enter his mind? Because God had allowed his mother to have an impact in his life in the early years. He knew who he was. He knew what his heritage was. He knew what his lineage was. And one day he got restless. He said, I need to go talk to my brethren. I need to go see my brethren. And, and, and he saw this Egyptian taskmaster beating this Israelite. And Moses stood up to this Egyptian taskmaster and actually killed him, defending the Israelite. And he said, oh, I just probably shouldn't have done that. And he goes and he runs away. And then he goes out the next day and he sees his brethren, two of his brethren fighting. But he thought he had covered up his sin. He thought he covered up the situation. He sees the two brethren, two Israelites fighting. And, and Moses says, what are you fighting with each other for? You should love one another. And they said, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed the Egyptian? <gasps> so what does he do? He runs off. God's got a plan. He runs off. He, he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, Jethro. Taking care of Jethro's sheep. And what does God do? He talks to him in a burning bush. Wow. The Bible is very clear. The, burn, the bush was not consumed. Moses knew that it was God. In fact, he gets close to the bush and, and God out of the bush says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Guess what? He took off his shoes and he listened to what God had to say. And God called him to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hand of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh. And we all know the story. It was an it's an amazing story. God led Moses to lead the people of Israel. And at the end of his life, you know what Moses says? He says to the people of Israel, God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Listen to him. You know what he's talking about, right? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Moses is pointing the nation forward to the Messiah who's going to come and, to, and, and that they need to be obedient to that Messiah. All the while, God is protecting and preserving and giving hope to the nation of Israel. 
Stephen gives this history to the people who are listening to him. The calling of Abraham, the forming of the nation, the preserving of the nation during the bondage in Egypt, the delivering them into the promised land. Stephen was careful to touch the highlights of the nation, reminding his listeners of all the things that God had done in their history and things that they needed to be grateful for. But as he brought things to a close, he reminded them of their history of rebellion against God again and again and again. And we see here that Stephen is taking a page from Peter's preaching manual. And this moves him into the next and shortest part of his message. And you know what that is? It's about the gospel. It's about telling the truth so people will know, yes, I've done wrong. Yes, I've committed terrible acts. But what do I do to get right with God? So in verses 51 through 53... Peter denounces the denunciation of the nation because they denounced Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Stephen brings his message to a conclusion by equating Jesus with the Messiah and accusing the listeners of killing the righteous one. He might have been on a good standing as he talked about the history of Israel. But then when he gets here and he says this, you stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You know what that did? Who do you think you are talking to us like that? You can't call us stiff-necked. That was not a compliment. You can't call us uncircumcised. We're circumcised. We're children of Abraham. We're children of the covenant. You can't talk to us like that. Those words rang into the ears of the people of Israel. And it cut them to the heart. They were very proud people. And to, to be called uncircumcised and, un, and stiff-necked, you know what that was like saying to them? You bunch of Gentiles. Oh, you couldn't have paid much worse of a slap in the face to them than calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised. The Jews prided themselves in the fact that they were descendants of Abraham and they were those of the circumcision. It was quite a charge to level against them. But here's the charge. He called them sclerostrocolous. Hard-necked, stubborn people. You know what? I'm a stubborn person. I don't like people to say, you're stubborn. I don't like that. And stubborn people don't like to be told that they're stubborn. The Jews didn't want to be called stubborn. But you know what? God referred to them that way. We're not going to go there, but in Exodus chapter 32, verse 10, he called them stiff-necked people. In Isaiah chapter 6, he called them again stiff-necked people. And, and, and Stephen looks at them and he says, you're uncircumcised in heart. Surely they were physically circumcised. And it was, but also remember this, that physical circumcision was a, a symbolic gesture of their relationship with God. God was more interested in their heart condition than he was in their physical condition. While they were circumcised in the physical sense, nevertheless, their disobedience was, was not receiving the message that God delivered to them through Jesus and through Peter and now through Stephen. 
The, New, the King James Study Bible says this, while they were circumcised in the physical sense, their disobedience in not receiving the message of the prophets caused them to be ungodly in their hearts and lives. They might have had the appearance of godliness, but you know what? They were ungodly in their actions. In fact, Stephen says, you're just like your fathers. Now, sometimes that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. This was not a good thing this time. You're just like your fathers. He said, you're always resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. They knew about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon them to give them the ability to do amazing things. They said, you are always resisting what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Your fathers persecuted the prophets who told you about the coming Holy One, the Righteous One, and now you've put them to death. He's not, pulling, he's not holding back. He's not pulling any punches. In fact, he goes on, he says, you are betrayers and murderers of the righteous one. You've been given the law of God by the angels themselves, and yet you refuse to keep the law. Shame on you, he said. He just, he's just leveling it out there the way, the, he's giving them the truth, and you know what? The truth hurts sometimes, and the truth hurt these Israelites. Now, you know, you know, sometimes a good stirring message results in a certain response from the listeners. I will do that sometimes. I will, I will say things that sometimes people say, you don't have any right saying that to me. It's not me saying it. If, if a preacher stands up here and preaches from the word of God, yes, the words might come from his mouth, but the message is God's message. If I call you to do something and tell you this is what you should do, please don't take it as my personal opinion. Because I have no right to give you my personal opinion. I am responsible before God to give you God's word. So when I call you to obey God's word, don't get upset with me. And I'm not saying that anybody's mad at me or anything like that. Okay? What I'm saying is you need to understand, just like when Stephen was telling these people that you're stiff-necked and you're uncircumcised and you killed the Messiah. Those weren't Stephen's words. Those were God's words. This is what you've done. This is what you need to do to get right with God. And again, I don't, don't follow my words. Don't do what I tell you to do unless you can be absolutely certain that what I'm telling you to do comes from the Word of God. And if I am telling you what comes from the Word of God, then you better do it. Because it's not me, it's God. So, Stephen is preaching this stirring message, and he calls for the people to do something. He calls for a response. We see that response in verse 54. It wasn't necessarily the response Stephen was looking for. Because in verse 54 it says, They were cut to the quick, to the very heart of hearts. And I've never had this happen to me, and I hope it never does. But the people ran upon Stephen, and they gnashed upon him with their teeth. They began to bite him. They were very upset with what he said. You don't understand the pride of the Israelite nation to be called uncircumcised and stiff-necked. They ran up to him and they bit him with their teeth. And when, sermon, and when Stephen's sermon comes to an end, we might say, what a tragic end for that young man. And from a human perspective, it was a tragic end. Remember what we said about him? He had all the gifts. He had all the promise of being the rising star in the early church. And then by the time he gets done preaching his first message, his life is snuffed out. Wow. He's put to death. 
He's stoned. They drag him out. After they finish biting him and beating him and kicking him, they drag him outside the city gates and they pick up stones and they stone him to death. But you see what happens at the end before he dies? What a glorious account. He looks up into heaven. And what does he see? It's very clear. Scripture says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Can I ask you a question? What is the last thing that we read when, in Acts chapter 1 where it says Jesus went into heaven and then he did what? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Stephen looks up into heaven, we're talking real time now. He looks up into heaven and what does he see? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand. He's, Jesus has risen to his feet. Why? Because Stephen is about ready, about ready to enter his presence. And Jesus is standing to welcome Stephen into heaven. And to say to Stephen, well done, my good and faithful servant. What was making it well done? What made it well done? His obedience to God. His willingness to do whatever God asked him to do, no matter what the cost. I want Jesus to stand when I get to heaven. But the only way that can happen is if I'm obedient. If I do what he asked me to do. Same with you. Jesus can stand when you enter into his presence. Can I say this? I think he stood when Eve entered. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's what we want, isn't it? That's our, that's our heart's desire to have God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Stephen, well done. Way to go, Stephen. Way to honor God with your life. Way to do what is right. And Stephen reached a point in his message of forgiveness in his heart towards his murderers when he said, Father, forgive them. Do not lay this sin to their heart, to their charge. He had forgiven them. Even as they were throwing stones at him, he forgave them. So here we are, and you're looking at the clock, and you say, Pastor, this is a long sermon. It's normal, probably. Here we are at the end of a very long sermon. Aren't you glad I didn't read the 50-some verses of his message? Here we are at the end of a very long sermon, and perhaps the longest in the book of Acts. But it was a sermon that kept his listeners riveted. Nobody turned away. Nobody said, boy, I wish, there was, I, wish there, I wish he'd come to an end with this thing already. The sermon largely based on historical facts that called his listeners to reflect on their own life. Where were they in relation to God? Where were they? Were they like their forefathers? They're at a point where they must make a decision. They must choose. They've heard this before. Remember Joshua? Choose this day whom you will serve. Stephen, in essence, is saying the same thing. And so even though it was a long sermon, even though it was a, a sermon based on history, some people don't like history, it was a message that showed the obedience of the faithful and the rebellion of the many. We're at a place in our lives where we need to ask, am I going to be faithful? Or am I going to, to steal a line from the Star Wars movies? Am I going to join the rebellion? We have to choose. We have to decide. We have to make a decision. 
and you know what? You say, I'm going to make that decision today, Pastor. I'm going to choose to be faithful. Can I tell you this? If you make it today, you're going to have to make it tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And you might even have to make it several times throughout the day. Because Satan is going to be after you to get you to turn away, turn back, and and say, forget it, I don't want to. But you know what? You and I, we need to follow the example of the people when they live for God like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and most importantly, Jesus. Because those other guys, they failed. Jesus never did. So I want to be like Jesus. As Stephen's listeners had to decide, so we must also decide. It should be our desires to be circumcised in heart. Not circumcised in the flesh, but circumcised in the heart. To be people who are receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we must be prepared, whatever might come our way. I don't think when Stephen started preaching this message that he thought he was going to die for it. But he did. I don't think any of us start the day off thinking that we might die, have to die for the cause of Christ. And we might not in our lifetime, but we might. But God is always asking us to be faithful and asking us to commit to far less serious consequences. You might have to lose some, uh, uh, your, your coworkers might laugh at you. Pfft, you believe that? You really think that? Why do you bring this thing to work with you anyway? Or why are you, what are you reading today? Oh, I'm reading my Bible on my lunch hour. Oh, really? Why do you do that? That's silly. Can I tell you why I do that? They might laugh at you. They might mock you. They might make fun of you. But Stephen was, was willing to do that. And as we see so much more. We must be willing to do what God calls us to do. And for Stephen, even death could not deter his testimony for the Lord. And so as we determine in our hearts today to live for the Lord and to honor him, let us determine that we won't let anything move us from that determination. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for your love for us. Father, we know that we fail often in our walk with you. We know that we're not perfect, and we're so thankful that you give us the opportunity to confess before you and, and, and to receive your forgiveness. First John 1, 9, if we confess